Hello, and welcome to Cool Story Guys. I'm Jeff. I'm Ethan. And, oh my goodness, Ethan, I have big news. Really? I have a huge news. Like, the most important life news. It doesn't even matter that our website is live, that the podcast is actually on all of the podcast farms now. I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons again. <laughs> okay, tell me more. Well, right after basically we recorded the first couple of episodes, I realized that I was a fraud and that <laughs> if I was going to be doing this RPG themed podcast that I I had to be playing RPGs again. And I I had some friends uh that I keep in touch with from America that were playing and I told them that I was jealous of them and they were like, "Well, why don't you play?" And I was like, because you're in a different time zone. And that would mean that I have to stay up until four in the morning. And then I realized that I don't really have like a job or like anything that was a good enough reason not to. So now I play Dungeons and Dragons every two weeks at four in the morning. I mean, that's awesome. But you know, your wife sleeps at four o'clock in the morning. How do you manage this? (laughs) Well, I learned very quickly, like five minutes into playing well, I didn't learn this. I was reminded that I'm a very excitable human being. I Yeah. And yeah. Uh, my wife, who can generally sleep through anything, she just like will be asleep in bed while I'm playing Hades for, you know, hours on end. So I guess I'm pretty used to actually staying up until four in the morning yeah. playing something else. She came out and was just like, you, you're so loud. <laughs> and so uh, I had to immediately move to the bathroom. Oh, okay. And so, yes, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons in the bathroom at 4 a.m. on Sunday night. Uh, I set up the toilet as my little table. I've got uh, my box of wine and my Haribos. And I am uh, playing a tiefling cleric named Biggins. And I drink my toilet wine and eat my Haribos in the bathroom. <laughs> I, I I have to say this. I feel like a fraud, too, because I have no idea what you just said, for the most part. I think you and I had talked earlier on that maybe I'm not as up on my RPG lingo as maybe I need to be going into this. So if you're a fraud, I'm something worse. Well, most of the words in that sentence were not real words, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> I recognize toilet wine, but when you had first said this, I thought you meant like prison wine. I thought you were brewing your own wine in the toilet. And I was like, Jeff, just buy it, man. You've got all access to all this really nice natural wine. You introduced me to that and and you're going to do it yourself. But you highlighted to me that no, it's just a box on top of a toilet. Well, I didn't specify. (laughs) We we have no idea. When When I'm in my fantasy world, my toilet wine is, it is what it is. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. So how long have you been playing now, then? Uh, a couple weeks. Yeah, we've 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 been playing a while. Um, and that's sort of giving away the secret that those first episodes of the podcast were recorded a hot minute ago. Oh, uh, yeah. But now we are live. We're, the website is live. We're on Twitter. Uh, we are on Instagram. We are interacting with people. And uh, yeah, the, the first round of people that we have sort of been trying to get interested in the podcast are role-playing game enthusiasts because we are for all intents and purposes role-playing adjacent yep so jeff i think i need a little bit of help on the lingo i I am a i consider myself a geek i consider myself somewhat understanding of the genres that we're dealing with and some of the language but on monday i believe it was there was a couple people interacting and using acronyms and all of this and and what is a ttrpg I was the one that sort of set up the uh, the Twitter, so I went after kind of a niche group. So a TTRPG is a toilet top role playing <laughs> game, and so the the other people in this community, uh, I feel I feel very strongly that we need to you know bring them into into the fold. 
amazing that this is a very commonly used acronym, or at least it is to me now that I've been following our Twitter, working with our Twitter for the last week. So, okay, well, that's good. So you found your home. Yeah, you know, um, Twitter, you're never alone on Twitter. No. Somebody else is into your weird thing for sure. <laughs> I couldn't believe how many other TTRPG people there were. Yeah, there's a lot of people in their toilets at night. It's kind of nice to know that everyone has somewhere to go to do the things that they want to do. Mm-hmm. It's very freeing. Okay, so we, uh, oh boy, uh, we had a chapter. Uh, we had some roles. And so let's do a recap of Ethan's chapter. Okay. In chapter two... We find a character named Morwell who has awoken from unconsciousness on the deck of a fishing boat. The fishing boat's wrecked. He's in the middle of a setting that he doesn't recognize. However, there is some familiarity to it. Um, The ocean's gone, as we've already established in chapter one. And he discovers that his two companions, a fishing captain named Danvers and Danvers' granddaughter Lorena, are missing. Morwell is panicked because in a bit of backstory, we discover that, you know, they're like a family to him. So Morwell is kind of looking around and trying to discover maybe they've where they've left the boat or whatnot. And there's a little bit of backstory that goes on at this point where we discover that Morwell himself is a former soldier who was part of a specialized military unit called an Isoropia unit or ISO for short. And these units were tasked with essentially policing the levels of technology and magic that denizens of this world could use. This is all put into place by the Capital Islands, which are the main governing force of this world. We learned that Morwell retired, and he was relocated to a fishing village called Delvorn. And in Delvorn, because of his appearance and his size, he kind of became a bit of an outcast, and this caused him to become depressed and reclusive until he met Danvers. Danvers sees him at a bar, strikes up a conversation. They become friends, and then Morwell starts working on Danvers' fishing boat, and it is here that he meets Lorena and becomes a bit of a kind of an uncle figure to her. And again, this is this is the establishment of why these three characters were on the boat in the first place. Morwell wants to find his friends. He looks out over the landscape to try to, you know, get an understanding of where his companions could go. And the only thing that he sees is this outcropping of rock. And within the outcropping of rock is what looks to be an opening. So he begins to move towards them and realizes that actually all the sand that's surrounding the embankment that the ship has come to rest upon is kind of boiling, kind of molten sand. And because he's such a big guy, he's going to fall right through it. Okay, so he devises a way to cross the sand by throwing pieces of debris onto it and kind of slowly crawling across, kind of placing his weight in a way that he doesn't sink. So when he lands onto this outcropping, he starts to realize that it looks a little bit more manufactured than he expected. So there's um, stone carvings on the outside of this outcropping on the rocks. They depict this creation story. And within this creation story, we see beings kind of rising from the waters and being then assaulted by this kind of fiery entity. And then an orb comes from the sky and what looks like rain falls down. Morwell decides to keep venturing further on to this outcropping. And before he can do much more, he's kind of seized by this feeling of immense heat. And he drops down to his knees and when he looks up, he sees this flaming being moving through the cavern. It's this massive creature composed of living fire. And as it comes closer to him, he feels hotter and hotter. And he's essentially incapacitated at this point. 
instinctually he reaches into his backpack and pulls out this device called an Avtimag bomb, which leeches magical energy from something or someone and kind of prepares for what's about to happen. And at this point, this magical flaming creature sends out this this fiery shockwave and reduces Morwell to dust and bone. And as he falls, or the, what's left of him falls, the Avtimag bomb goes off and it finds its way onto the creature, which reduces the creature down to a tiny little fragment of itself, um, kind of caught underneath the metal helmet. And you just have this kind of silent scene where this big battle, which lasted maybe 30 seconds, has ended and the chapter closes. So yes, what did we roll, Ethan? <laughs> what did I roll? I'm the one who did it. It's my fault. I killed Morwell. Jeff killed Morwell. Jeff killed Morwell before Morwell actually was Morwell, but it was an unbelievably difficult roll. Yeah, I rolled a I rolled a one. I rolled a I rolled a critical fail on the second chapter and gave Ethan the very tough choice of whether or not he was going to kill the Crimson Woman as soon as his fingers hit the keyboard, or if he was going to have to create a character immediately doomed to death. Yeah. And I thought about killing the Crimson Woman, but the way I've been thinking about the story since Jeff wrote his chapter is the Crimson Woman seems very foundational to the story. Even though we can have multiple protagonists, as we've agreed, she seems unbelievably important, and I, I didn't want to do that. So I thought it would be interesting to create a character and, and kill them off giving them just enough backstory that we begin to flesh the world out a little bit, but not so much that, you know, I get my feelings hurt because my friend died at the end of the chapter. Sure. Yeah. So the other role was uh, number 16, permanent transformation. Yes. We will, we'll get to that later. Let's start with the, let's start with the critical fail. Needless to say, killing off your protagonist in the very first chapter, you give them all their backstory is not how you would have started your chapter of the book. Am I correct? Yeah, no, I don't think I would have done that. <laughs> I think, um, again, it, it, it basically is kind of two different styles of writing that you have to combine. So you're creating a character, but because the character's usefulness ends after that, um, outside of being a reference point, you have to use them more as a delivery system for lore or a delivery system for other characters, which is what I did in this situation by introducing Danvers and introducing um, Lorena and introducing this concept of this governing body called the Capital Islands. Okay, so again, it seems really challenging, but it wasn't too bad because I guess if you think about it, I knew he was going to die at the very beginning. Okay, so I could dictate the pace from there. But um, you can't just introduce somebody and, and, and kill them in the second paragraph. So there was a little bit of work that went into making sure that this was a character that somebody at least could grow some sort of attachment to, let's say. One of our listeners actually reached out to me and was like, wow, that's pretty ballsy that you you killed the character right in the first chapter that you introduced them. And I was like, yeah, it was the role. It and they were like, oh, yeah, you don't get to choose this. For the element of suspense, we can't tell people what we rolled before they read the chapter, because if we told them that we're going to kill the protagonist before they read the chapter, then there would be no surprise when the protagonist dies. Yeah. But then it's also kind of hard to remember that, like, 
since we're not telling you before the chapter that, yeah, these there, there are going to be wacky things that happened in this chapter that we didn't just do because our whims told us that this was a good idea. Yeah. Like, it is not a good idea in a story to kill the protagonist in the second chapter. Maybe it's a, it can be a good idea. I mean, our story rules and we did it. So we're, we're, you know, the exception <laughs> to the rule. But, but yeah, this is not, this is not how we anticipated starting this story at all. Yeah. But after a moment of, concern i was actually happy because what we are establishing in the second chapter is the fate index does control everything and we're not just writing an audio novel and taking you know oh well you know maybe we roll again we're not like we we go straight into it and and that made it a lot more fun you know i was i was happy with that but no i think um i'm trying to think of is there a book can you think of a story that you've read where the a protagonist dies within the first two chapters not that early on not one that like I, I can't think of one where an entire chapter of backstory is given and then they die at the end of the chapter. Yeah. That's generally not seen as good writing. Yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> that's that's pretty bad, right? I think there was a lot of there's a lot of horror that's written and there's a little bit of shock that comes into kind of having a situation like that, but uh, not for all our, our, our intents and purposes. I mean, no. on a, like the the closest thing that I can think of in terms of like being a big surprise, but you know, it's it's a little different because it happens more at the end of the first book is Ned dying in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, where you assume he's going to be the main character for this whole series. And then his death just really opens up the fact that, no, it's all about his kids. Yeah. But we, you know, one chapter of Morwell wasn't enough for people to necessarily get super attached. No. Hopefully, hopefully we weren't breaking hearts already. Well, I, I hope not. I tried to make him semi-likable begin it he's still a somewhat of a cold static character to some degree and again again it's a leaping off point so after reading my chapter but before you got your roles what did you think you were going to write about and how did that change when you found out that you had to kill your protagonist so i knew i was going to establish a different area of the world and I knew that I was going to establish somebody finding themselves on a fishing boat. When we first started talking about the ocean scene, I've always really liked the idea of just fishermen doing their thing and then suddenly being caught in a kind of a difficult situation. Now, I presumed that, and actually, this maybe goes back to even before you stole the ocean. I, I was thinking about a fisherman, and we were talking about some ideas back then. And I was thinking about just, again, somebody finding themselves in a foreign land. Maybe they've been blown off course and onto a different island or something like that. I had all intents and purposes to kind of create the character on the other side of the world from the Crimson Woman. Um, not that they would ever meet, but, you know, if you think about them both on a trajectory, they're both moving towards the same sort of location. So I thought I was going to be making the, contra the, the complimentary character to that. So then when Jeff rolled the death one, I was like, well, cool. All right, then this is the end of whoever I'm going to write now. So, But it didn't change what I wanted to do with the second chapter, which was, again, to, to create some sort of a foundation and to have somebody on a boat confused and concerned. Yeah, you actually made some choices in this chapter in your world building that I was either unwilling or unable to make myself. Uh, one of which, and we haven't talked about this outside of this, was deciding on a system of measurement mm -hmm. where when you're creating high fantasy and you're doing, you're doing all of the creating from the ground up, you have to sort of decide when enough is enough. Mm -hmm. And I have struggled in this in other fantasy stories I've written where if you're, if you're writing high fantasy and it's in a different world that has different rules, why are they using things like feet and meters? And I, I, 
sort of chickened out of it. And you'll notice in my chapter, the Crimson Woman is thinking of things in like terms of her own body lengths. Yeah. And you you just you went straight with meters. So you you made the choice like, okay, meter is going to be system of measurement. Did you think about that? And did you come across other things where you were like, okay, this I want to invent, but this is this like earth rule is going to stay the same? So I would love to say, actually, Jeff, I spent a long time analyzing the measurement and all these different, I, I, I really didn't, I put in meters. Like it, it just, it was just happenstance. That being said, I did consciously think about to what level of understanding these characters have of the objects around them and how that relates to what we commonly see on a day-to-day basis. So things like boats, you know, I didn't call them shimmy woos or something like that you know it was it was just you know i there there has I, for me it, it's more comfortable for me to kind of have some recognizable features or you know situations so yeah i don't know maybe it was lazy maybe it was just laziness but i think it would be really difficult because i kind of feel it's almost like tolkien like created his own elven language you know that's a level of commitment that's really really cool but i don't think i would have ever written the chapter because because we've talked before where i kind of get a little bit wrapped up in like kind of the backstories and the lore and the mythology and whatnot. So I just could only imagine if I'm going to start, you know, determining what the unit of measurement is, and that could take you into all kinds of different directions, you know? So no, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't a conscious decision, but um, I hope it's a decision that lends itself to what you're expecting. You can still measure things by thumbnails or magical berries, if you'd like. It's, it's up to you. Yeah. On COA, they actually measure things much like how the U.S. foot was based on some old ruler's actual foot, <laughs> everyone on the island of Koa measures things in the body length of the Crimson Woman, and that is why they are so afraid of her. So it's not just her her uh, system of measurement thinking about how tall she is. Everyone must think about how tall the Crimson at, Woman at all, is. She's just annoyed at all times because, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, Crimson Woman. They're kind of sneaking up lumber. behind her trying to get an idea. <laughs> how tall was she? <laughs> There was another choice you made in creating this world, Ethan. Who the hell told you you could put robots in my fantasy story? This is this is fantasy. This yeah. is not sci-fi. We rolled it. We rolled a five, not a six. Um, yes, but we also rolled technologically a just above m- normal technology. So I took my liberties with that. And I also had a two to work with a little bit too, which means I could kind of... That little bit of wiggle room that let me steal the ocean told you you could put robots in our I fantasy could, I story. Now, now I, I don't know how much detail I want to go into this, but but I, I th- I'm thinking more automatons, okay? So, you know, think about Elder Scrolls. There were robots, but they were kind of steam-powered and actually fueled by souls, okay? So I think that... I think you can play with that a little bit. Okay, so it's not like Ripley and aliens in the cargo loader sort of mechs. That's what no, I was envisioning. No, 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 no. I was no. envisioning Technics to be uh, just like people in in mech suits. That's um, not that's not what you were in, envisioning. No, no, no. Imagine more like I'm trying to develop that. You know, magic and technology both exist, and they both exist at high levels. But there's a lot of crossover. Okay, and and so what the mechs are. Um, and what the technics utilize is kind of these like kind of like battle armors, okay? And then they're they're not like kind of rigid and whatnot, but maybe more form fitting. And I and I didn't put too much description to this because again, I'm trying to really let people kind of develop this on their own. So this, this may kind of ruin that for everybody. But no, m- think think more like battle armor that's kind of steam powered or powered by like the souls of creatures at one point. I mean, you know, something along those lines. It's it's not like uh. 
it's not like you know pacific rim you know, okay you, so so moving on who the hell told you you could put steampunk in my fantasy well story? there's always well you know fantasy and steampunk is you know kind of the same thing <laughs> <laughs> well I, I guess it is now yeah it is now i mean again i, I because we were dealing with the technology level and i got to a point where i, I really like that conflict of um the powers that people can have and and you've seen in stories before where magic users are kind of seem kind of demonized to some degree and what you don't always see is like yeah but what about technology you know like think about like a medieval setting okay to, for lack of a better word and you've got catapults which were devastating weapons you know um and people are more worried about magic but not about you know the extent that technology can start to really like create damage and whatnot and i kind of liked that that idea of that conflict not that it's necessarily a central point of the story but that in the background there's these kind of again governing bodies taking notice of the fact that oh like if this gets out of control this could be a big deal and i think that kind of parallels sort of conversations that are happening right now in modern days about artificial intelligence and automation and drones and these kind of things and okay to what extent are we allowed to kind of push these items. So I like to have those two conflicting things. So it's not just magic getting all the attention. Let's go back to the other role because the other role was pretty tricky when, when paired with killing the protagonist, the other role was a permanent transformation. Yeah. And so having that with the protagonist dying, it means it has to happen to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose like, in a way, and I, I do remember you sort of trying to wiggle out of it out loud when we did the roles, like, well, death is a permanent transformation. Yeah. Like, it can be the same thing, but you can't cheat the Fate Index. No, and the, and the Fate Index knows. It's always watching. It, it knows. You can't cut corners. So, I guess there was two different directions that that I could have gone with this, is is talk about, a, you know, a physical transformation or a kind of a individual or, you know, an emotional transformation or whatnot. So actually what you see is the foundation of me trying to do that with Morwell when he softens up and becomes part of a family. But again, Jeff and I were kind of talking and he didn't say it directly, but you know, Jeff was like, you have to, you have to, we have to make sure that the things in the fate index are represented in a way that someone could see it be like, okay, that's where that was. And to me, just this subtle, I'm alone. Now I'm not alone. Isn't really what we're looking for. So I wanted to work with something, something like an entity, like that's being controlled, and 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 then that control is lost and then regained in some way, and so that's why I created um, this magical bomb or anti-magical bomb um, that can kind of restrict the extent at to which magic can be applied, or it can eliminate magic altogether. And these bombs are kind of utilized against the magi, who are the magical users in this world. And so when I kind of, you know, kind of use that and with the creature that came out, which clearly is a magical creature based on the buildup on the murals and also its abilities and it's, you know, the living flame coming off of it. That was a pretty easy one, though. That took me a lot. That was a lot more difficult than killing off the protagonist, honestly, because not only are you establishing a protagonist and killing it, you're also establishing this entity or this monster and, and describing it in a way that, okay, now I can permanently transform that into something different. So that was kind of a heavy end of the chapter for me to get both of my roles in um, right, right in like the last two paragraphs. Right. So yeah, you've got this, you've got this giant flame monster that then Morwell's bomb covers in this, this blue sort of magic smothering material and permanently leeches away its magic. Now it's this tiny little sort of dormant thing, but theoretically is still alive. Yeah. 
without giving away too much for what you want to do in the future, you imagine this this creature sticking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We I, I didn't want to eliminate it altogether because then you basically you've gone nowhere with the chapter, haven't you? You know, you've you've established okay, maybe you'd establish Danvers and you've established Lorena, but then you know these two titans, let's say, are fighting and then they both die, and it's just like okay, well that was a complete waste of the last you know two pages of the story. So yeah, Morwell put up a good fight. He put up a good fight, and so <laughs> did the other thing, and now they're both dead. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I wanted to make sure that there was something because uh, I have an idea for what I would do with that in the future, and we'll see how the roles dictate that because the roles are already pushing us in directions that we didn't expect. So I can't fall in love too much with any sort of ideas or concepts right now but i do have kind of an idea so uh speaking of danvers where is danvers i don't know you got no idea danvers just danvers just isn't there danvers isn't there to be quite honest with you in the beginning one idea was that danvers that Morwell was going to look over the ship and danvers he would have had a hat or something on it just would have been sitting on the surface of the sand and that would have given you the clue that the sand is dangerous but i I, I can't kill you can't kill two people off that quickly like again it's one thing to kill Morwell off but to kill Danvers off too it doesn't make much sense um so I abandoned that and honestly I think the fun thing about this is there's an you know we want to create this story but we also kind of want to throw subtle little crumbs to one another um that we can choose to run with or not and so I thought, okay, well, maybe this will be an interesting thing for Jeff to deal with in the future, or maybe I come back around and I figure something out with Danvers, but it's a fantasy world, magic's involved, we can do anything, he could be in the sky now, he could go back to where he once was. You know, what what are the chances that Danvers is actually going to turn out to be the antagonist? Oh my god. I don't know, now that you say it, like, 100%? <laughs> I I, that would be really, really... That it would was be, Danvers all along! It was me! Sorry, Lorena! Yeah. <laughs> Um, it could be, I don't, it, it, that's the thing about this is anytime I've been writing, you always are thinking about your character and developing it like 10 chapters down the line, you know, and, and, and really starting to build on these things. And we just don't know, because again, Jeff can roll yet another critical fail and I could have to kill somebody else off, which is inconceivable in the second chapter. So, um, hopefully I have a little bit more wiggle room in the future to actually start developing things. Ethan, do you know what time it is? I can guess what time it is. It's, it's time for you to go stand in the corner. <laughs> I'm, I'm going. It's the corner of self-doubt. Yes, it is the corner of self-doubt. And this time it is Ethan's turn to talk about things that he was self-conscious about while writing or performing the chapter. Ethan, what did you... What did you find particularly difficult or embarrassing about creating this chapter? So, I mean, there's a million things I could talk about, but I'm, I'm going to go with the performance side of it, okay? Because before reading this, I always thought of myself as having a pretty good ability to speak, and I, I, I've created all kinds of characters that I use for my son and my wife to her dismay. I really struggled. I mean, the reading's tough enough, but like to do character voices, you know, and our whole thing was we don't have to have like Disney voices to all this stuff. We can kind of just make subtle changes to our voices. But even that was really difficult. And I always default back to a gruff Southern accent. Like every character I have, it can start out as a British accent and then suddenly it's like Southern Indiana, you know? And I was really self-conscious about that because I just imagine what somebody was talking about on, and this was in regards to YouTube, is if somebody doesn't like your voice, 
they're immediately done with whatever you're doing. And to add in everyone's self-consciousness about their own voice and when they're speaking and hearing recordings, now I'm adding a character that may or may not be very good. So I really struggle with that. And, and, and Jeff, fortunately, we recorded that together and so coached me along with that. But I mean, it was really difficult and, and yelling in a character voice too. Like when you're trying to maintain your audio levels, we did a, when Morwell was yelling for damn, he was like, Danvers. And I was like, do I, do I, you know, yell from my, I mean, it was difficult. So that was the thing that really, really sat in my mind the whole time to the point that I'm actually spending time on YouTube watching voice actors and people kind of rehearsing kind of some exercises and whatnot that you can do to uh, enhance your ability to to speak. So you also had quite a few made up words in your in your uh, chapter, which is fun. I mean, it's fantasy, but you had like character names and and isoropia units. And it it was it was funny doing the reading together because like, you invented these words, but they were still just as foreign to you yeah. as if like you hadn't invented. Yeah. I mean, I guess isoropia is actually a word. Yeah, isoropia is Greek for balance. Okay. So I I did want again, I I did want I didn't want to stick my toe too deep into creating absolutely everything. So I was kind of looking for reference material and whatnot because I always think that's kind of a cool, like that's a little bit of cool fan service as you hear a word, you're like, oh, I recognize that, and you look it up and then you're you say, Oh, balance. Well, that makes sense for a group that kind of deals with, you know, moderating the the the, the use of magic and technology in the world. But it, it, I mean we, we we learned how to to pronounce some of the other words while we were actually doing the recording live. And uh, there was one occasion where Jeff was like, I imagined it was pronounced like this and um, it sounded way better. And it was a really funny kind of little incident. Yeah, let's let's play the clip. Yeah. Because of this, Morwell had been paired with a young ISO named Deluga, a Callan woman with high potential. Who's... I see that as Delugu. What did I say? Deluga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Deluga. Come on over here, man. I got some roast beef for you. I mean, yeah, just classic, classic case of getting all the all the vowels mixed around. <laughs> well, that, that's the other thing too is is in recording this, you do realize that everybody has kind of a certain way of speaking, and I wasn't pronouncing things correctly, and so we had to go through it a couple times. And actually, it was really fun, but it's a grueling process. Some of these voiceover artists, like I always have respect for them because it's a difficult thing to do, but to read scripts and, and anyone that reads audiobooks live, like, wow, like it's, it's quite the challenge. So um, I definitely need to be more prepared for that. And I ne- definitely need to drink less coffee right beforehand because I kind of wanted to move my hands around and we have kind of a setup here, which is on a metal table and like the slightest touch will send ringing through oh, yeah, all we the can't audio. Touch anything. We can't know. So we have to kind of like sit in one place. So as Jeff and I develop our a recording environment perhaps we'll start to enhance things and we'll have soundproof walls and a, and a big sound stage that we can do all kinds of fun hand motions and whatnot let's talk about what the new outcomes are for the next chapter okay these should be the last outcomes that we have written ourselves yes to be clear we are uh, going to release this at the same time as the next chapter, yeah. we want from now on for them to the one podcast and one chapter to be grouped together mm-hmm. so that you can hear the recap of what happened in the previous chapter and us talking about it and then immediately jump into the next chapter so that the story is fresh in your mind. Now that we are live on the internet, we are actively seeking submissions for the Fate Index. We really want people to submit ideas to us that will go into the Fate Index and ultimately, hopefully, 
be rolled into the story. So mm-hmm. please tweet at us at cool story guys with underscores. Leave us comments on Instagram also at cool story guys, but with periods. It's much easier if you just go to our website, coolstoryguys.com, and click on the little icons that will send you directly to our page. Then you don't have to remember all of the strange underscores and periods because every name has already been taken on every social media channel. Yeah. I love that the only one that we actually got at Cool Story Guys straight with no weird dots and underscores is Facebook. Yeah. And I hate Facebook so much. And I'm not even <laughs> telling people to follow it because I made the page because you have to make the page. Yeah. But like now literally my personal, you also have to link it to a personal page. Mm-hmm. So my personal page is just Facebook trying to get me to pay them money to tell all of the people who are already in my feed about my posts. Yeah. <laughs> it's just total extortion. And I refuse I refuse to play along. So a Facebook page exists and it's the only one we got the actual name for, but I I'm not going to I'm not going to give Facebook any money and they're not going to promote my stuff because I'm not going to give them any money. Yeah. So anyway, the these are the last outcomes that we came up with ourselves. Number one is still a critical fail. So <laughs> Our we it still has to be consequential if you roll another critical fail. So, but this time you get to kill the co-writer's protagonist. You don't just get to choose one that dies. It's vengeful now, and it's uh, it's sort of in retribution for the fact that I rolled the one and Ethan had to kill his character right away. Yeah, we can't keep going like this. There's going to be nothing left of the story. It's an auspicious start for sure the fate index is really making its its presence known yeah yeah, very early we thought we got really good roles in chapter one and chapter two was just brutal yeah the other one replacing number 16 is a goonie squad Ooh, ethan tell us goonie squad was your baby yeah what are you hoping to to gain from introducing a goonie squad into this book okay so if i looked at it from the context of the goonies which is what we've said here. It's it's just a mismatched kind of squad of of characters. They don't necessarily have to be kids, but a lot of the time they're kids. And you've got your kind of funny chubby one, and you've got your really serious tiny one, and you've got your brute. So it's kind of like a miniature kind of cartoony RPG group, actually, if you think about it. So I'm hoping that they will add a little bit of um, lightheartedness to the story that's mm-hmm. already... <laughs> quite devastating oh, it's, it's dark man and yeah my chapter's done too and i i'm not going to give away what the roles are not good y'all <laughs> we need a goonie it's squad. dark I, I i think when we were thinking about these new ideas and what we we're going to add to the fate index after the roles like we we both kind of wanted to put something in and they're going to kind of push it in the direction of light um and so i guess a goonie squad can but yeah no things we're not dark people i, I no the fate index is our our fate is dark apparently it, it makes me a little bit worried during corona times but yeah no <laughs> so yeah when uh when you as the listener come up with uh ideas for things that could maybe brighten the story up a yes. bit give it a bit of pep please tweet at us please leave comments this episode will be released with the next chapter. We hope that you like it. It is a bit longer than the other two uh, because the roles made me do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, if, if, this, if the story is going to have any sort of emotional resonance, you need to build it up before you can tear it down, as they say. <laughs> uh, so yeah, prepare yourselves. The, we did it again. Yep. We did it again. That's our tagline. There yeah. we go. Oops. We did it again. Oops, we- <laughs> Nobody's ever said that before, huh? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs>